morning again. Good morning to those watching online today. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Adrian. I'm one of the pastors here at Carnegie Free. If we haven't yet met, love to connect you after the service. How did that extra hour of sleep treat you? Did you get an extra hour? Or did you waste it? I wasted it. <laughs> but it still felt good. All right, well, this morning we're, uh, we're launching a new message series that you've just heard, To Whom Much Is Given. And over the next four weeks, well, we're going to be looking at this idea that God has given us much, and so what does it look like for us to develop an attitude of gratitude? What does it look like for us to grow in contentment? Uh, how do we fight off some of the inner demons that we all experience related to my time, my money, my skills, all of that, and how do we grow in this sense of God has given me so much? We'll be doing this for four weeks. Today is Becoming Stewards, and it's foundational in terms of our biblical understanding of stewardship, a philosophical understanding of, of stewardship today. Uh, second, next week, we'll be on beating greed, and all of us have struggled with greed at one time or another, so I'm so excited about next week's message. You're not going to want to miss it. Uh, the third uh, week is on boundless generosity, and that's really when generosity gets super fun, and so we'll be talking about that. And then the final week is on blessed contentment, how we actually can grow in this beautiful characteristic of contentment that we all long for but so often don't experience. I I'm excited for this series because of what I believe it can do for you, because of what I believe it can do in you over perhaps the coming years as a result of these Four weeks. The truth is that the ideas in this series can actually change your life. I'm not overstating that. Like if you understand a biblical view of stewardship with respect to time, it changes your sense of contentment with the hours and days and years that God gives you. If you understand a, a biblical sense of stewardship with respect to finances, that will change your finances. It will change your saving. It'll change the sense of control that you have over an area of life that many of us feel like is out of control. If you get a biblical view of finances, that'll change your marriage, won't it? I see a lot of people who really struggle in their marriage and one of the commonalities is frequently not being on the same page with respect to finances. But to get on God's page with respect to finances will change your marriage. It'll totally change your parenting. Did you know that Christmas is coming up? It'll change your experience of Christmas to have a, a biblical foundation for stewardship with respect to finances particularly can change your experience of Christmas even this year. I want you to know on the front end that any time I ever speak on finances, and it's not only about that in this series, but it will be some, any time I speak on this subject, I, I teach give to give. I don't teach give to get. If you want to learn give to get messages, there's some TV preachers I could refer you to, but you won't get that from me. I don't teach give to get. I teach give because God has given it all. And I teach give because God would have us be transformed in part as we grow 
in the wonderful discipline of generosity. Both because God has given it all and it glorifies him and it advances what he wants done in the world and also because it's the very best thing for us. It's not because God needs your money. It's not because the church needs your money. It's because we need this, right? This is truth. Here's the key verse that we'll look at throughout this series. Everyone to whom much was given, to him much will be required. And from him to whom much they entrusted, they will demand all the more. To whom much has been given, much is required, much is expected, much is demanded. I love the way the message paraphrase of the Bible puts it in even a simpler form. Let's read this out loud together from the screen. It says this, great gifts mean great responsibilities. Greater gifts, greater responsibilities. Isn't that just truth? That's just truth. We all know this in, any, in, in just about any area of life. If you're a parent, you understand that some of your kids have greater gifts in one area than another area. And so that means great responsibilities for them. Then another kid has a greater gift in this area that the other child does not. That means greater responsibility for them in that area. We all parent this way. If you're a teacher or if you've ever been a coach, you know that you have certain kids on your team that have different gifts, don't they? You have certain students that have different gifts than others. And you teach, you coach according to the ways they've been gifted. To whom much has been given, much is expected. Now, I kind of have the gall to say here, and I hope you'd agree, that in 2019, Kearney, Nebraska, USA, we've been given much. Would you agree? We've been given a lot, haven't we? Each of us in this room, to varying degrees, have been given much. And so Jesus would say to us, to whom much is given, much is expected. We want to become great stewards of all that God has given. Here's a simple definition to, to get us started this morning. Stewardship is how you take care of, and then also how you multiply what God has given you. It's how you take care of and how you multiply what God has entrusted to you, what God is loaning to you, what God has given you for your short earthly sojourn. Classically, we talk about stewardship in three areas, and all of us have to be stewards in at least these three areas. Others will have different areas as well, but all of us will need to learn how to be stewards in the areas of our time, our talents, and our treasures. Uh, talents are what make you uniquely you. God has chosen in his kindness and in his providence to give you some natural abilities and then after you became a Christian to give you some spiritual abilities that make you unique to other people in this room. Just because he loves you, he's given you abilities and spiritual gifts to bless you. Now it's your job to steward those, to take those abilities, to take those spiritual gifts and even to multiply them such that you can grow in what God has given you over the course of many years. Have you experienced that? We've all experienced having some natural abilities or some spiritual gift, and God doesn't just plop it into our basket and say, good for you. He says, now grow that. Take care of it and multiply it. Also with our treasures. You think of our treasures, you might have a car that you drive. You might have a home. You might have an apartment. You might have a 401k. 
You might have some other kind of asset. Each of these treasures, though, that you have come from the fact that God has given you the ability to produce that. Anything that you have has come from God's kind generosity to give you the ability to produce that. And now it's yours to care for, utilize in a wise and careful way, some of it for us, and then also to multiply it for what God wants done in this world. The final area, time, is the only one that can't really be multiplied, can it? God's given you the number of days he's given you. And we all have the same 24 hours in each day. So none of us has any excuse really about that. It's the one that we need to care for. We need to utilize for his honor and his glory and for the good of those around us. But we can't multiply it. Our days are numbered. Our days are numbered but we can redeem the time that God has given us. Now, what are some other areas that some of us would have to steward that maybe others in the room don't? Children. Yeah, great. So some of us are parents. Well, that's a big deal, right? To, to steward your kids. Some of us have a marriage. That we need a steward. It's a gift from God that we need to pour into, spend time on, invest in to make it all that God would want it to be, to make it all we want it to be. Our passions. Different people in this room have different passions that God has given you to steward. Your job, your knowledge, your expertise, and on and on we could go in a number of different areas. But we all have these three, time, talents, and treasures. And taken together, the big idea that you want to take home with you today from this message can be simplified to just three words. Stewardship determines legacy. That's it. Stewardship determines legacy. What you choose to do with what God has given you will determine your legacy when you're gone from this earth. Really, it's that simple. And all of us have to embrace that truth and ride it until the day that we die. To say, God, you've given me much, and to whom much is given, much is expected. Would you give me the courage each and every day to maximize what you have given for your glory and for the good of others around me? Because I don't want to waste anything good that you have loaned to me. Stewardship determines legacy. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to look first here at the roots of stewardship. Genesis 1 is the first official page of your Bible. After the notes and the table of contents, you get to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to look at a couple different passages here at the very beginning though, that speak to what God is doing well when he gives us the gift of stewardship. We'll start with Genesis 1 at verse 26 and go through the end of that chapter. Then we'll look at a few in Genesis 2. Then God said, in the midst of all that he has made, then God said, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground why does it say let us make mankind in our image it's because the trinity was there together the father the son and the holy spirit are there at creation and saying i want to invite you into fellowship with the triune god so let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they could have fellowship, so they could have relationship with the triune God. 
So God created mankind in his own image, in the image and likeness of God. He created them. Male and female, he created them both to complement him, to complement each other and to reflect him. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now, I recognize that there are probably some people in the room, perhaps some watching online today, that don't even believe in that story. And that's okay. That's okay. We're so glad that you're here with whatever you believe. Uh, I do happen to believe that this actually happened. Um, I don't know when it happened, and I think that's actually secondary to the text itself. What's primary to the text is who, God, what, he made it all in beauty to love you and to love me and to invite us into fellowship with him. But even if you do not believe in this story today, you can still learn a whole lot from this story. If you just dig in for a moment, if you suspend disbelief for just a moment well with me, and you dig into the story, you can learn a whole lot about the Judeo-Christian worldview and the conception of God and the conception of humanity that comes out of it. It's a beautiful portrait both of God and of us. And from the very beginning, it teaches that stewardship is part and parcel of God's work with humanity. Stewardship arises out of who God is. Stewardship is rooted in the very character of God. Like, God makes us to steward what he has made because he wants to bring us into this dominion that he is over all, and so he creates us as vice regents and says, hey, come, be a part of what I'm doing. God's forming the very pinnacle of creation, and their names are Beth, John, and Carlos, and Dwayne, and Maria, and you, and me. Like, I'm not sure if I'll ever get over this. God chose to create me. He didn't have to. He didn't have to create you. He chose out of a gift to create you, to reflect him, to bear forth his image to a watching world who is observing the way that we live. He chose to Invite us into fellowship with him that we would be stewards over the whole of what he has made. And then he gives. Look at verse 29. God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth. I give you all the trees for fruit with all of their seeds. I give you all the corn and the soybeans. They're yours to enjoy and go multiply. And I must say, you've done a very good job. I give you the beasts of the earth and the birds of the sky. I give you food to eat, meat to eat. You can enjoy that. And then the end of verse 30, I give you every green plant for food. I give you all the broccoli and spinach and kale you could possibly want so that you can have arguments with your kids over dinner. God is a giver. 
And this is who God is. He's a giver. At the very beginning, he says, I want to invite you to be like me, and I am a giver. Perhaps you've heard, God so loved the world that he, that he gave. Okay, this is central to the character of God. It's central to the way God has made us. Move on to chapter 2 and look at verse 8 with me. Then verse 15, it says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed in this garden that he made. Verse 15, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Then verse 18, The Lord God said, Okay, you've been given all these wonderful plants, all these beautiful animals, You've been given food to eat, but it's, it's not good for man to be alone. You still haven't been given all that you'll be given. I will make a helper suitable for you. I'll give you a partner because I love you as well. I'll give you a partner as well. I'm giving, I'm giving, I'm giving. This is who God is. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So you can imagine Adam here as the various animals come to him. There's one that looks like a bovine, so he calls it cow. And there's a big majestic animal with a trunk and some horns sticking out of its side of its mouth, and he calls it elephant. And there's a lazy furry thing, and he calls it sloth. They laughed more at the first service. <laughs> I thought it was good. <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> Moving on. So the man gave names to all the livestock. <laughs> the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found until God gave that to him later on as well. Now, somebody help me here. Uh, were these good gifts from God given before or after the fall of humanity? Before, right? How about work? Does Adam have work to do here? Is that before or after the fall? Before. We've got so consumed with this idea that work is all thorns and thistles that we've missed out on the fact that God gave humanity the good gift of a hard day's work, of sweat, way before the fall of humanity. Because God is a giver, he gave us the gift of work as well. And all of this that he gave, all of the beautiful creation around us that we are to steward, the beautiful garden to take care of, the people around us, the, the relationships, the jobs though, that we have, the talents that we have, the time that we have, all of these are gifts out of God's generosity to say, I welcome you to take care of that which I have created. This is not your home, but I'm giving it to you on loan. It's kind of like this. Imagine that you get the opportunity to stay at your very wealthy uncle's house named Bill Gates. Okay, just imagine with me, you're at Uncle Bill's house, and it's a very, very nice home on the beach, and you're so excited to be there for a long-awaited two-week vacation. All he asks is that you take care of his house. And so while you're in that house, you notice all kinds of little symbols that demonstrate this belongs to Bill and Melinda Gates. There are no Apple products. 
There are no Google products. You see Microsoft Office everywhere you turn. There's all these indications that this belongs to Bill and Melinda Gates, and they keep coming to your mind. They belong to another, and I get to enjoy and take care of them during this short vacation. So also it is with our relationship with the Father. He has entrusted to us for a short period of time things like a car. But it ain't your car. A house. But it ain't your house. A 401k account, but it ain't your 401k account. Kids, but they're not even your kids. They belong to another. They belong to someone greater. And we get to steward what he has entrusted to our care for our very short three score and ten years here on earth. This beautiful world on loan to us. I'll never get over this. Perfect God loans perfect creation to imperfect people like us to take care of for our short years on earth. Even so, as beautiful as this teaching is, we find roadblocks to stewardship, don't we? At every turn, we see all kinds of roadblocks to stewardship, and I'd like to suggest four different roadblocks to stewardship that get in the way if we're not careful. And I'm guessing all of us struggle with at least a couple of these. The first one is innate, innate selfishness. You remember Adam and Eve have all of this. They have this glorious garden. They're they're given purview over all kind of land, such beauty they have all around them, but they fall into the sin of selfishness, don't they? They fall into the sin of greed that they say, I want what I wasn't given. And I see this tree over here, and that's representative to so many things in our lives. We see this over here that we don't have, and we get covetous for that which we don't have, and we say, I want that. And all of us have that goes back to the very beginning, and in one way or another, all of us have that. For me, I'll just tell you as we start the series, it's not money. It just isn't. For whatever reason, that's never been a big motivator for me. I've had a lot at different times in my life. I've had very little at different times in my life. And I've just learned again and again that money does not promise. Excuse me, money does not deliver what it promises. I've just experienced that over and over again. It does not deliver what it promises. And so that's not the big thing for me, but the big thing for me is oftentimes time. It's my calendar. It's my desire to own and even be greedy or selfish with the hours of my day. And secretly, I sometimes have a little bit of envy for this guy up on the screen. I mean, Buddy the Elf, he's my man. I want to be more like Buddy, because Buddy doesn't need to sleep. Buddy's like uber productive all the time. He is so productive to get so many things done. He doesn't need sleep. And because of that, he doesn't see this extra person that's been placed on his calendar as an incursion on his time. And sometimes I do which is shameful to admit as a pastor, I must say. But there are times that I want my time for me, and I can get greedy about my time such that I would miss the God-ordained appointments that God has for me if I treat my hours as a steward. 
You see, I have to be reminded that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein. My days are numbered and they're all to be used for God and not specifically for I, what I want. Likewise, money is just a number and it's for the Lord. But this innate sinfulness that we all struggle with, this innate selfishness is a roadblock for many of us. Here's another roadblock. We live in extravagant culture, don't we? It's quiet here. We live in extravagant culture. We really do. And many other cultures are not nearly as extravagant as American culture. I've been very blessed to be able to travel in many different places around the world. Our culture is extremely extravagant. And the result is many Americans have lost the ability to distinguish between needs and wants. We've simply lost it. Previous generations of Americans had it. But we've bought the, the bait at the end of the line that somehow this stuff is going to change my life for the better. And we've learned as we got this hook in our mouth that it doesn't. I have two very good friends who were bankrupt before the age of 30. They had to file chapter 11, not on the basis of medical expenses or houses, but because of leather jackets and big screen TVs and great stereo systems and extravagant hotels. They went bankrupt before the age of 30. You know people like this too. It's because of an inability to distinguish between needs and wants, which becomes an enormous stumbling block to stewardship. I grew up middle class, and I was blessed with much wonderful parents, and we would go on a monthly basis out to dinner. One time per month, we would go out to dinner, and each and every time we went out to dinner, it was to La Cabana. Because at La Cabana, we could get enchiladas or tacos or burritos, and all four of us could eat with waters only, after tip and after taxes for $13. And I did not feel deprived. I felt blessed that I got to go to La Cabana with my parents and my brother once a month and eat a simple meal. Now my family goes out to dinner once a week, and every one of us spends $13. Now the rule is still no drinks, water's only in my house, and that ain't going to change, boys. Water's only in my house. When we go out to dinner, we're not dropping $2 each on soft drinks. Oh, it's funny in here. We just live in an extraordinarily extravagant culture. We've lost the ability to distinguish between needs and wants. And the result is that we have more stuff than we've ever had in all of history. And our economy is good, which we are grateful for. But oftentimes this has a negative effect on our spiritual lives. Because we're no longer content. And oftentimes we're no longer stewards. A third roadblock for many of us, perhaps because of that inability to distinguish between needs and wants, is debt. And many of us would really like to be generous with all that God has given us. We would like to be able to save some for a rainy day, but we look at the balance sheet at the end of the month and we've got in over our heads with credit card debt or whatever it might be, and it just feels overwhelming. We'd like to be great stewards, but it's really, really difficult to get there because of debt. The result of this here at this church is we want to help you 
And we offer, on an annual basis, the very least, a class called Financial Peace University that's designed just for this to help people get out of especially credit card debt. We do this each and every year. The next time that we'll offer it will be January of 2020. Last January of 2019, well, we had a class hosted by Kurt Mann, and Dave Ramsey teaches it, but the facilitator, Kurt Mann, sent me this testimony at the end of last year's class. Listen to this. We had our last FPU class on Monday. We started the class with 28 people and had 20 there on the last night. We also had 16 people that made eight of the nine classes and received their graduation certificates. Of the three previous classes that I've coordinated or co-coordinated, I don't know that we had 16 people make eight of nine classes combined. The 20 people that made the last class handed in their final financial snapshot. Listen to this. As a group, they paid off in eight weeks $22,618 in debt. <sighs> wow. They said, yeah, you can clap for that. But it doesn't stop there. As a group, they saved an additional $48,174 in eight weeks. And they cut up 14 credit cards together in eight weeks. In eight weeks. Is it possible? You can get to financial freedom. It's hard, it takes work, it takes discipline, it takes a plan, but they're on their way to that after only eight weeks. Debt can be overcome. I had a guy come up to me right after the first service and he said, I've been on this plan file for the last year and I've completely gotten out of huge debt. I have zero debt to my name anymore. Thanks be to God. It can be overcome. Debt is a huge roadblock, however, to stewardship. Finally, anxiety about not having enough might be the biggest roadblock that many of us experience towards stewardship. Anyone here ever fight the curse of what if? See some people raise their hand. Like, what if I have another baby? What if we get sick? What if I lose my job? What if I say yes to helping this time, then they'll ask me to help again next time? What if, what if, what if? And then all of a sudden we're scared to do anything and we feel discontent. A great roadblock for many to stewardship is what if? It breeds anxiety related to time and treasures. But if all of life is a gift, which, is which it absolutely is, all of life is a gift. I mean, your, your first birth was a gift, was it not? Being born in this world, created by God, that's a gift. Your second birth is a gift. Your parents are a gift. If you have siblings, it's a gift. If you have kids, it's a gift. Your ability to make wealth is a gift. And as you live with this perspective that all of life is a gift, the result is gratitude and contentment and generosity and anxiety melts away. And we can begin to live simply so that others may simply live. Yeah, we have a few things, but we don't allow possessions to possess us. Christians need to get back to that. We live simply so that others may simply live. We, you know, we have 401ks, we save for retirement, but we don't become overburdened by that. Like, it's amazing. I never worried about a 401k when I didn't have one. But now that I have one, I worry about it. This can be a major roadblock for me. I have to be careful how much energy, how much focus I put into that. What I want to do instead is to care for my kids and provide a small nest egg for my kids in the future. I'm not going to leave a million bucks for my kids. It wouldn't be good for them. Anybody? 
It wouldn't be good for them. I'm going to send it away to what God wants done in the world. I'm be content with having a little because I don't want to get trapped in the love of my stuff, whatever it might be. Hebrews 13.5 is the most explicit statement of that loved verse that so many people in the church just absolutely love and we hold on to. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And it's really fascinating to me that Hebrews 13.5 is stated explicitly in the context of money. It says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? Because I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. You're caught by me. I, I am yours. You can trust that I will hold you no matter what. Whether you have a lot or whether you have a little, I will hold you. And once we get caught up in that, we can know that we have the presence of God. God has ownership over us, and so we're okay. John Wesley understood this. I remember a, a great, great story in which he uh, was a circuit rider preacher in the United States. He had his house in England and was uh, partially responsible for great revival, great awakening on two different continents. But as he was going around by horseback preaching at different locations, he got news that his house back home had been burned down in a fire. And fortunately, his family was okay. But as that news came to him while he was out on his circuit preaching, he responded, The Lord's house burned. Yay, one less responsibility for me. I mean, could you imagine to be content with a little or to be content with much, as the Apostle Paul says, one less care in this world for me. Many of us have lost it in this because we've been chasing after something that will never satisfy like a dog chasing its tail. We think that somehow if we grab this, if we pursue this, it will satisfy us. And at the beginning, it's kind of like a nice adventure, like a dog chasing its tail. But then it starts to wear the dog out, doesn't it? it starts to wear us out. So instead, we say, I am caught by God. I don't have to chase anything. I am caught by God. And I am content We have the roots of stewardship in the character of God. We have roadblocks to stewardship at every turn. Friends, the result of stewardship is a lasting legacy. And I'll wrap up here. The result of stewardship is a lasting legacy. Stewardship determines legacy. When we leave this earth, here's what we'll leave behind. Some memories, some mementos, some trophies, and our legacy. Just those four. That's it. The memories will be gone within a generation or two at the very most. Sorry, but it's true. The memories will be gone. The mementos are like these proofs that we existed. We fought in this war, we went to this school. It's a proof that we existed. Maybe those will last a little bit longer, but eventually rust and moth will take over those too, won't they? Our trophies are like the proofs of our accomplishments, that you're a doctor or you were successful in this music endeavor or you're a successful athlete, but eventually those trophies get rusted as well and they get eventually thrown in the trash. What continues is your legacy.
what continues is what you push down to the next generation that then can be pushed down to the next generation and then to others also. The measure of a man's life is not found in how much fun he had or how much stuff he accumulated. The measure of a man's life is found in how much it was given away. Stewardship determines legacy. And those men and women who take the mantle of God who was a giver and say, I'm going to live that way with my time, my talents, and my treasures. I'm going to build that which lasts. I'm going to build up the church. I'm going to build into missionary enterprises. I'm going to build into my kids and my grandkids and great-grandkids. I'm going to build faith into the next generation, and I'm going to make that penetrate my various decisions in life. Uh, that's the person who has a legacy that they can be proud of when they die. So my question for you is this. How is your view of stewardship being pushed down into your time, your talents, and your treasures? Because one day we'll appear before the judgment seat of God, and we're going to get a reward that will be our lasting legacy as a response to what we did with what God gave. And I don't know about you, this is what I want to hear. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been responsible with the few things that I've given to you. Now for all of eternity, let me put you in charge of many things. Eternity will not be boring. You'll receive a legacy reward from our God in response to the way you live with what he has given now. Come and share in your master's happiness. That's what I want. I believe that's what you want. It requires a countercultural stewardship plan. Let's ask God for help. Oh, Father, we thank you for your mercy to us. We thank you that you have given us so very much. We started this message with these words, to whom much is given, much is expected, and we acknowledge that every one of us in this room has been given so much. And so we say to you, it's our heart's desire to live out of that, to be stewards of all that you have given, to maximize the time and talents and treasures that you have presented to us for the short years that we have on earth. Would you please help us? God, as we enter into this series, we just have to admit to you that there are roadblocks in our lives. Some of us struggle with anxiety. Others of us struggle deeply with greed. Others of us are, are deep in debt. And others still just have succumbed to an extravagant culture all around us that we've failed to distinguish between needs and wants, and we just present that to you right now. What is it for you? What is it for you, my friends? I know what it is for me. And God, I'm asking you to change it in me. Because, Father, our heart's desire is to be about things that are way bigger than us. We want your church to go forward. We want missions to flourish. We want the poor to be fed. We want the world to know that Jesus Christ is Lord and we believe in something bigger. So Father, use us for your honor and your good. We'll be careful to give you all the credit. In Christ's name.